Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, everyone. You are listening to the Third Coast Pocket Conference, where your next great story begins. On this show, we share sessions from past Third Coast conferences that feature the world's top radio makers and podcasters. I'm your host, Dennis Funk. With music rights usually too expensive for the average production budget and free music sources really, really overused, many podcasters are working with composers to create a palette of music that is unique to their own show. But if you've never worked with musicians before, how do you speak their language and also get the sound that you want? In this session, producer Michael May and composer Nick Dupre, who work together at NPR's Story Lab, show how they collaborate to create music for shows like Invisibilia and take examples from the audience. Here are Michael and Nick with Compose Yourself, a producer's guide to working with musicians. Morning, everyone. Hey, we're going to get started. Um, <clears throat> So I'm going to start with a really obvious point, which is that music has a powerful narrative force of its own. Um, I think anyone who's ever loved a great song knows that. Um, But I think, you know, a lot of times when we think of, like, music we like, we kind of put it in the emotional categories, like, oh, it's a happy song, or it's a sad song, or maybe it's a song that loves to make us dance. Um, And... uh, you know, for for a long time, if we used music in terms of, you know, audio narrative storytelling, it was basically like a transitional element, right? Kind of the this American, this American life model where you're kind of going from one chapter to the next. Um, and and, and, and fa- as far as like using it much more to like create like a soundtrack like you might in a movie, uh, you know, I think there was this like basically a, an argument against it, that it was you know, too manipulative. And I, I'd, I'd like to turn that on its head and say, well, that's exactly why we should use it, right? Like, we're trying to make our storytelling as engaging as possible, and music can be a really powerful tool to do that. Um, and you know, to some extent, I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. We all have been listening to shows like Radio Lab and Love and Radio, who have really made music like completely and sound design really, you know, um, uh, integral uh, to the storytelling. Um, so this session really is for people who, you know, love that stuff, but are just trying to kind of get into it, dip their feet in, which is basically what 
kind of the stage that we're at. So hopefully we can, you know, we'll be able to kind of communicate some more simple ideas on how we start thinking about music, um, and and to really use music in a way to uh, kind of affect in almost a subliminal way how the storytelling goes, as opposed to like making it as much like in like in a love and radio type piece where it's really like as you know, it's almost like half music, half storytelling. We're, what we're doing here is much more like 90% storytelling, and we're adding like another element. Um, so just quickly, I'm Michael May. Um, I'm the producer at uh, NPR Story Lab. Hey, I'm Nick Dupre, and uh, I work on the NPR One app at NPR, but I also freelance as a music producer and composer. So we're going to talk a lot today about talking about music. Um, how do we communicate, how do we conceptualize and communicate what we want music to do in our stories? And uh, you know, the, way that the, the way that I really think about it is in terms of metaphor um, so, and, and moving kind of beyond happy and sad. So uh, this is a bit of an aside, but you know, we tend to think of our senses as being very separate. But there's been a lot of research in recent years about how much our senses are actually intermingled. Um, and, we, and we can see that in, in the language that we use, right? We talk about loud colors. Um, we talk about you know, dark music or sweet smells. It's actually, there's a, there's a word for this. It's called synesthetic metaphors coming off synesthesia, which is a condition that people have where their senses are blended in a more extreme way than others. But like what's being known now is that happens basically with all of us. So I really think about like synesthetic metaphor as a way to, to talk about using music. Um, because I think music can do much more than, than kind of manipulate blunt uh, emotions. You can really uh, evoke the senses in a lot of ways. And I'm, I'm thinking like visual elements. How can we use music to make our stories more visual? How can we make the, use music to maybe like evoke sort of a mode of thinking like reflective or obsessive you know um, so uh, so that's what we're going to talk about the range of things that music can do so just starting like in a really basic level just simple chords uh, and you know maybe some of this is hardwired and maybe some of it is just from like culturally like all the music that we've heard and how we've absorbed it but we can evoke pretty strong emotions just with simple chords so like sweet. That's a major seventh. Uh, suspense. It's half diminished. Um, realization or, you know, augmented. So, you know, then you start, you can start adding uh, rhythm and melodies and you might get more kind of complex ideas. So it looks like your story is, you know, the characters in your story are starting to like get to work, get, get busy, you know, you might do something. Like, that's, like, that's a little silent movie-ish, but maybe, like, more, like, hectic or something. Right. Yeah, yeah. I should say that's Philip Glass. Okay. Not something I... Always do go with Philip Glass over Philip Charlie Glass Chaplin. Glass usually safe, yeah. <laughs> um, so we're going to come back to that in a second. But first, you know, 
if you're going to consider working with a composer, it's obviously going to take a lot of time and resources. So when is it, you know, when's it worth that commitment? Well, you know, first of all, um, for a long time, radio producers had the luxury of just kind of using any music that, you know, didn't have to worry about rights because we were putting stuff on the radio. We had blanket rights for using music on the radio like DJs, right? Um, I think that it's safe to say those days are officially over. And I'm not sure when that ended because for a long time, even podcasts were, were using copywritten material and everyone was just kind of like, you know, whistling away and like not really worrying about it. But I think sometime like about a year ago, I'm thinking, because I think big shows were even using um, music with rights. And uh, now everybody's like, I think it's, you know, there's a lot of advertising dollars now coming into podcasting and people are not doing that anymore. Like you really need to find, you know, music with rights. And of course you can now, you can, or you can always like buy the rights. Um, and, you know, I, there are certain websites like, you know, Poddington Bear and others that, you know, that, that people are going to now. And the problem is that we're all kind of going to those same places. So that would be my first reason. If you compose the music for your work, then it's going to be original. Nobody else is going to have that music. I think that's a pretty strong argument. Um, there was like a, it, there was a piece of music. This wasn't actually a piece of like Poddington Bear or whatever, but um, something I used like maybe two or three years ago, and I feel like I now hear it like all the time. Like probably we like, I'll play it. Like, do you guys recognize this? That's how familiar, you know, and it's not surprising that we all kind of go to the same well because we're, we're looking for music that's, you know, kind of incomplete, right? Like most music, like musicians are like storytellers. They want to like own the entire narrative space. So, you know, there's choruses and there's singers and there's, you know, solos. And as when we're looking for stuff to score our pieces, most of the time we don't want all any of that. We want like music that sounds really incomplete. So we all go to music like that. That was a band called, or a DJ or whatever, electronic musician, Tycho. Um, you know, we're looking for stuff that's kind of evocative and you can imagine like, you know, having it sort of support the work that you're doing. It sort of like seeps in at kind of the edges of our subconscious. And really, I think... There's no, it's no surprise that we all kind of went to that well of like ambient kind of, you know, Brian Eno and the, and the descendants of Brian Eno. Um, but, you know, it is like a kind of a limited palette, right? Like sometimes we might want stuff that's really warm. We don't always want stuff that's like kind of in the music for airports kind of world. So, so that's, I think you, you doing your own music, you can really expand the kind of palette of sounds that you're using. Um, another great reason to, to work with a composer is, you know, sometimes we want something really particular, right? Like, we're like, I want something that, like, evokes the 1980s and Los Angeles and is a little bit of, like, a paranoid edge and, you know, and, like, we're, it's really difficult to find music that share, that has all those perfect qualities, so you end up compromising. If you're working, working with a composer, I mean, it may take a long time and you may spend a lot of time talking and going back and forth, but ultimately you can find music that at least gets close to what you're hearing in your head. <clears throat> Um, <clears throat> so Nick, do you want to talk about yeah, working so as a composer? Yeah, so there are basically, when you 
have decided that you want to use original music and engage a composer, there's basically two or three ways, arrangements. Um, so speaking from a producer-composer perspective, um, I will succeed best if you bring me into the process early. So the, maybe the best way to do it is bring me in like an associate producer. Um, let me have creative skin in the game to craft the sound well before you have final tape. Um, when you're in like your second edit or your first edit, bring me in to go uh, from you know 45 minutes of tape and vocal tracking down to 30 minutes and let me uh, suggest where the music will help your story succeed. Another way to do it, and, and this is uh, you know an arrangement I've often been in, is I get a near final piece of tape. Um, sometimes the producers will actually place music that they don't have rights to as placeholders, and then I'll go and remove all that and work from scratch to rescore. Um, and that, that can work. Um, if, you have, if you give me a cold piece of tape, I'm going to probably suggest music in places that you didn't think of. I might even uh, take some liberties and actually edit a little bit and insert silence. And then the third way to do it, which is really interesting, is if you're working on a season of a show, and this was what I did with um, Surprisingly Awesome, uh, Gimlet, we, they, they suggested a handful of moods, or she called them scenarios. Uh, it was Rachel Ward. And uh, so we composed cues uh, for each one of those scenarios. So it was like a dog finding a bone. It was mounting monotony. It was uh, a surprise. It was a mystery has been revealed. And she didn't know when or where she was going to use those, but she knew that if she got uh, something from us that matched each one of those, that she could use those. And so she ended up inserting them uh, in various episodes throughout the season of Surprisingly Awesome. Um, so I'm going to put this to the room because, uh, you know, I've sort of just lucked into composers to collaborate with, um, you know, so where, where have people here found composers that they want to work with? Because I think that's still quite a challenge. SoundCloud. And then you'll actually reach out to them. But I think you could take it one step further and ask them to, to compose something. I mean, that's kind of, I guess, the basic way. If you don't have someone like that's a friend or a friend of a friend, find a musician that you like and ask them. And if they can't do it, maybe they can suggest someone. Yeah? Um, I think a lot of composers um, are, on, are in air or are on the list somehow. Okay, on the air list. You throw it out on the air list mm. that you need um, some music, almost always somebody responds. Of so, course, the air yeah, list. That's good. That's, that's, yeah, exactly. See, this is why it's great to pose questions to the audience. Yeah. Like, uh, the obvious appears. Yes, the air list, always the answer. Um, okay, so you have your composer. You're, you're, you've decided to score a piece. Where to start? It's a lot of talking, right? It's like more talking than it is making music. Um, and I think the first step is to really get together your, your, your team and with the composer and start talking about like what is the sound of the show, you know, and starting to kind of put a frame around things. You know, it's, it's just like with, story, like with doing the stories, right? Like you, it's mostly about figuring out everything you're not going to put in and then like working with the material that's kind of left. Um, and, you know, once again, metaphors, like what, what he was saying about was surprisingly awesome, right? Dog finds a bone. What's the musical equivalent? Um, I uh, had a, I 
I was talking to um, Susie Lechtenberg, the EP of uh, More Perfect, and I, it was just so great because we were talking about metaphors, and, and they actually literally use visual metaphors. So this is, they call this a mood board. This is for the episode, The Political Thicket. And um, yesterday we had someone from the team here, but I don't know anyone here from the team. Okay, so uh, I won't be able to fully describe it, but it's about, you know, if you guys know the episode, um, one thing that I loved was that, uh, this, does anyone recognize this picture here on the bottom left? So that's like one of the last pictures of Prince before he died um, biking in, uh, in Minneapolis. And um, Susie was like, because the episode's about the, someone going kind of slow, a little bit isolated and it kind of has a melancholy tone. And she was just like, I wanted it to sound like this picture makes me feel just seeing sort of Prince riding away. So, you know, that's kind of the, I love that, just that kind of level of, of metaphor. Um, other ways you can do this that I've done a little of myself and heard several people mention is kind of an onomatopoeia approach. So it's like, I want music that feels like biting an apple, like, you know, or uh, I want music that's like, flying for the first time, like whoosh, you know, and that kind of thing. And just, you know, it sounds silly and it is silly and it's really fun. You get kind of giggly in these sessions. And, but ultimately you're like in some way circling around and finally honing in on what you're looking for. <clears throat> so um, let's get in. Um, uh, has it, well, once again, like anyone here, and who has the microphone? I'd like to, because I'm sort of repeating what you guys are saying, but does anyone um, have any uh, thoughts about how they've communicated with composers? Beck. Um, we have the benefit at WMU. We're working on a project called Capital Soundtrack, so we're using all local musicians, and we've designed, I, I realize not everyone has this, but I hope that there's maybe some transferable lessons. We designed a submission form with our legal team that's like, giving fair rights, covering us where we need to, but trying to give them as much um, like power and creative license as we can. So we use it in all our breaks, and then we consider like talking to them further for more creative enterprises. Um, so again, this is like a large outfit that we can do this, but if there's a way that you can reach out to people, there are resources online, um, it's kind of like intellectual property resources and just start conversations. If you have a community space or a community event where you can just kind of start pitching this or on social media, I would encourage you to try it. That's one of the coolest things. Uh, I love that Capital soundtrack, it's amazing. Anyone else uh, talk about how to communicate with composers? Maybe you, Julia, I know you've done a lot of that. Yeah. Hi, I'm Julia Barton. I'm the editor of the Revisionist History podcast from Panoply with Malcolm Gladwell. And we thought a lot about composers in our process because um, we didn't have as much, uh, the sort of like the ratio of tape to exposition was, you know, going to be high in terms of exposition. Um, and so music was a really important element. And Mia LaBelle mostly was the producer on the project. She handled most of the communications with composers, but she and Roxanne Scott and I, um, you know, after an open call, we listened, you know, we sort of narrowed it down and we got a lot of good submissions. It's really hard and we actually decided to hire two composers because they could work together. Um, mm -hmm. And some of the things I was thinking about in terms of music was the fact that because the exposition was there, even though it's good writing, 
Um, it needed a sort of a, I would say, out in the world feeling to it, um, to sort of, you know, give a, a, an extra dimension to the prose. So that um, I think there's a lot of good scoring that sounds a little more synthetic, and that's great when you have strong field tape like in Serial. Um, the combination of those two elements is really strong. Um, but we were looking for composers that worked with acoustic instruments or, you know, acoustic sampling. So we picked uh, Takayasuzawa, who's worked with Benjamin Walker um, and done some really great sound installations at New York Historical Society. He's a violinist. So some of the most powerful scoring in that um, series is from him. Um, and then, But then Luis Guerra is a, is a film scorer out in in uh, LA and his stuff was just it was also very very powerful but sort of more practical like he could solve more practical problems that we needed in the prose what did you tell the composers like when you were at, said like for this scene we want and how would you describe what you wanted um, Ian knows more about the particulars of that basically they got a first draft of the script mm -hmm. um, and we gave them these broad notes like look here's some of the issues we know we're facing in terms of exposition um, we know that um, there are complicated arguments that need to be followed through the, mm. through the piece. And um, this is something you and I also worked on in Life of the Law. It's yeah. like, how do you give the argument or the sort of intellectual theme its own musical um, identity mm -hmm. so that um, it comes back, you know, when you're making an argumentative or essayistic piece, you know, that becomes a character and it comes back with variations. Um, and so they would do these amazing themes just called like, um, you know, elites, you know, argue against, <laughs> you know, right. spreading the wealth or whatever. They would just make up these, um, you know, sort of like argumentative themes. And they were like either dynamic or sort of plaintive or, um, you know, some of them were character based. So they would sort of take the, there was one called, uh, there's this episode of, with this uh, Mennonite guy, Chester Winger, um, who, who ended up leaving his church because he wanted to officiate the marriage of his gay son and the conservative Mennonite church that he was in um, wouldn't allow that. So, so he quit the church after 98 years um, to marry his own son. And there was this great theme that I can't remember which one of them did it, but it was called Chester's Laugh. <laughs> so they took just a moment of the tape, which they also had access to, the raw tape and the, the sort of like edited tape, um, and then they would just riff on it. Mm -hmm. And you know, sometimes there were, there were misses. Um, you know, we paid them by episode. Um, Luis had a good music library, so he kind of could draw on more resources, which I think is really important, you know, to have like a, a, an experienced producer if you're on a tight turnaround. They just have a, a, a library of resources of themes they've already worked on that they can rework. Mm -hmm. um, Taka was doing original comp compositions, mm -hmm. and that was really hard for him. But I think as a young composer, it was important, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so some of his attempts and some of Luis's too were like a little too weird and we had to just shelve them. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the biggest challenges is once again, getting back to this idea that, you know, musicians really want to fill the narrative space and we're really trying sometimes to like pull them back. I would say a lot of my directions with, with Nick are like less, 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 you know, or, or like lower, let's bring the volume down or like too much movement, you know, you really are like, I'm constantly pulling it back because I really almost, I don't want people to notice, you know, in the stuff we're doing, I don't want people to think about the music. I want people to feel it, you know? 
So, uh, okay, so let's get into some examples. So um, here's things that music can do beyond just transitions. One is theme music. This is, um, this is from, that I just, I really wanted sorry, to from be the top. So this is him. Love Me the, uh, from CBC, Lou Olkowski. There was something about him that I just, I really wanted to be by him. Kind of like a fire, you know? Like you see a fire and you're like, I don't really want to be by that fire. From CBC, this is Love Me, a show about the messiness of human connection. Hi, I'm Lou. Episode one, at a loss for words. My mom demands a lot of attention. So, like, that moment right there is why I wanted to play you this. Just, I, for some reason, like, that little, like, kind of off-kilter, sweet, but, like, poppy, kind of odd thing. Like, I felt like when I heard that, I was like, because this is the first episode, right? First thing I ever heard from the show. I was like, oh, okay, I know what I'm getting into, right? You know, it's going to be this quirky, it's going to be artsy, um, it's going to be, like, a little bit plain, you know, like, confessional, um, I, I liked how Nick said it, where he's like, it was like, it's music that makes you feel okay to be a weirdo, which is kind of like what the show's right? Because she goes into a monologue about her difficulty, like saying I love you to her mother, like which is also a pretty intense way to start the, the show. Um, okay, so the next, uh, we're gonna, this is what we're gonna spend a bulk of time talking about is illustrating scenes. So, you know, a lot of time we're dealing with recounted scenes. We don't actually have active sound from what's going on. So there's a lot of ways to illustrate a scene. So let's just go through quickly some examples. This is Fireflies from the Radiolab um, episode Emergence. You know, I just stop it. So um, the... Uh, you know, I'm seeing there, it's like the fireflies are those like flickers in the music and like they flicker visually and there's sort of this dark background. It feels sort of iridescent. Um, it really evoked like this idea. It's about the fireflies and how they like all sync up for the show Emergence. Um, some other things you could do like a kind of a, this is sort of like a bustling European city, right? Like this is very literal. This is Nick put this together. Um, this tape from freesound.org of just like a Venetian St. Mark's Square, I guess. Yeah. So, um, so another kind of, uh, so what if you're set in like an open desert, right? The very opposite. So just like a desert is kind of stark, monotonous, um, could also be outer space or something, right? Like it's just in the same way, like very clearly m music that is, the way you'd visually describe a desert, you could also, you know, describe metaphorically that music. Um, this is a type, like someone furiously typing that we've kind of turned into a musical motif. Once again, a mixture of like sound effects and like live, like actual musical percussive. Um, oh yeah. This is like for a piece that we're working on about George Foreman and the fight, the Ali Foreman fight. And it's sort of like his, how Foreman felt going into the ring, right? Like anticipation, pride, kind of evoking that era, you know, this kind of 70s, kind of a funk uh, element. But we used the, the prompt that Michael gave me for that one was, well, I don't know if it was, where a we, mystical. It was mystical. Yeah. Um, 
A mystical song. Yeah, the, the video where he's in a straitjacket from like 1998 or something. That's a great one. Showing my age. Oh, well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so I'm no, now I'm going to play a longer um, excerpt. This is for a piece that, that was my first experimentation with composing. And I did it, this one I did all on my own, which I think. I wanted to talk through a little bit, because some of you guys are probably not going to be able to immediately go out and work with a composer. There's still a lot that you can do. I did a, this with like iPhone app um, little synthesizers. I don't play a keyboard, but there's like I, there's this app called Bebot that I got like for my kids because it has this cute little robot thing. And anyways, <laughs> it's actually like kind of a cool little tool. Um, and I used uh, music and uh, and cut it up. There, was, there is copyrighted material on this. So this was for the radio, and I did a lot of just cutting things up and, and moving them around. So um, the story follows this skydive instructor, David Hartsock, who's doing a tandem dive where they're strapped together with this woman named Shirley Diegard. And then things uh, go horribly wrong. And you'll notice in this that a lot of it is not scored, and I wanted to let that play out because a lot of times I'm thinking of the scoring actually setting up silence or vice versa. Um, so there's as much of this is not scored as is actually scored. And I could hear him grunting and trying hard. You could just hear him uh, trying hard to reach something. And so that's when she asked me if everything was okay. And I was honest with her and told her, no, it was not okay. No, we had a serious problem. And it's like the world stopped. And all I could think about was my husband not want, really wanting me to go, and why did I push for this? What is happening? I can't believe this might happen. I realized that we were in a very, very serious situation, and it was probably not going to end well. I thought about my mom. I had just lost my mom not too long before that, and I thought about seeing my mom again and knew I was going to. And then when I thought about my mom, I thought about my kids. My kids and my grandkids, three grandchildren, and my husband and my other son were on the ground watching this. And I just said, God, I didn't want them to have to see this. I just knew this was my moment, that this was my last day on earth. Knowing that her two sons and our husband could see their mother and wife spinning into the ground thinking, oh my God, she's going to be dead. And I wasn't going to let that happen no matter what. At that point, you know, we were probably down to 3,000 feet and I went ahead and deployed the reserve parachute. But unfortunately, all I did was get tangled up into the main parachute. I was looking down at the ground to see where we were headed. It's a pretty much a farm area, so there's houses, barns, barbed wire fences, all kinds of things you can hit that it's gonna kill you. I had a brief thought about, well, this is my fate, oh well. You know, the primary thing now is to make sure that at least one of us survives, and that one person that needs to survive is the student. And I figured what I would do is swing my body underneath hers so that that way she would land on me. The last three seconds, just as we were spinning in, I told her to raise her legs. He said, get ready for a rough landing, Shirley. 
I was laying right smack on top of David. He was on his back on the ground. I was right on top of him. So, so she walked away fine, and he's uh, quadriplegic, which why his voice sounds like that. Um, so just talking about some of the elements and why I think they, you know, what I was trying to go for, and hopefully it, it was communicated. So, um, so that, that the bottom track is like the, the wind ambi, uh, got that from free sound, obviously, just putting, you know, putting some elements. Um, one thing that's great about music is you add it with like, you know, this, these kind of sound effects and you're really signaling to the audience like, okay, this isn't real. Like, yeah, I wasn't there, you know, gathering sound when, when they were hurtling towards the earth. Um, but I'm evoking that, right? In the, in the lead up, the first like 20 seconds we played, I used a lot of just basic drones. I, f I found um, uh, recordings of these really, really primitive, like the very first synthesizers, like literally these hobbyists build these little boxes that like from hand and they press a button and it just goes like, <laughs> you know, and they're all over YouTube. So um, I used a bunch of those. And basically like a drone, I think of a drone like as a mood, right? Like doesn't change, it's just, it's how you're, it's like the feeling in your head. Like, and you can think about that in terms of, of you know, once again, like synesthetic, uh, you know, metaphors like buzzed, right? Like, what does buzzed mean? Well, it's like it's this feeling in your head, right? In that case, sort of a warm buzz. This is more of a fear buzz. And I just layered a bunch of those. Um, I'm, uh, you know, when we go into the silence, my, my thinking is like we're sort of stopping time, right? This whole fall was only like 30 seconds, and this is a ten, like almost a 10-minute piece about it. And I'm trying to evoke that idea of like, you know, what people talk about when they're facing death, uh, like their whole life flashes before their eyes. And it's clear from talking to them that that's sort of how it was, right? So it's like the, when the real intense sound design is happening, that's like in the moment, right? The urgency of, of what they're facing. And then the sound goes away and we're in their head. And it's sort of happening, happening sort of simultaneously. I'm trying to evoke that. Then it, we come back into the scene. That's Art Blakey. Um, do a drum solo with a, you know, that's sort of like the ticking clock, but it's like a musical, like ticking, you know, like we're spinning towards the ground, we're 3,000 feet, you know. Ch -ch 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 -ch. Then um, the, the swirling sound, right, because this is set up a little bit more early, but like because of the, they have a, a parachute that's open that's like partially inflated and they're just like circling. And so I literally, I took that Bebot synthesizer that I was talking about, which also you can do great like drones on. It actually sounds pretty good, and it's like $2. Um, and I, I just was like literally spinning my finger around it. Like it's, yeah, I put it on like a pentatonic scale, so you, you just have like five columns, each one being a note, and I was just like, that's what I did for the spinning. The hardest part actually was the hitting the ground, the sound design of hitting the ground. There's tons of stuff online, like free sound of the people have used in like movies, but they are so gruesome. You know, um, just, you know, that's the thing about like movies versus radio. Like we're, like we're looking for something more subtle. We're not looking, I wasn't, I didn't want bones crunching, right? Like that was, it was, everything was just so gross. And when I'd play it for people, they would just like, it, it would totally like break the spell. So I was really stuck about it because I didn't have a good hitting the ground thing. So I called a, a friend of mine who's a musician and told him my dilemma. And literally like within a half an hour, he, he gave me the sound that I used. And it was, I think he said it was, a, he took a pillow 
and put like a microphone on his bed and just hit a pillow to the bed and then mix it in with like a bass drum thump. And that was hitting the ground. Um, oh DIY. yeah, you take it over. For uh, visibility? Yeah. Cool. So um, I'm going to play a couple of tracks from Invisibilia Season 1. Um, I've worked on Invisibilia Season 2, uh, but we're doing an exercise right now where we're um, kind of a tryout of original music uh, with existing tape in Season 1. So, and I actually, uh, this is an example of um, two composers each taking a crack at a, at, a, at a cold piece of tape and coming to different conclusions. And I'm not going to tell you which one is which and which one is my partner, uh, Louis Weeks, but uh, we're going to talk about it. And this is from the episode Fearless, and it's right at the beginning. In the woods. This is tape from a film which shows two little children, ages four and six, together in a clearing in the forest. They're alone, two tiny bodies dwarfed by tall, dark trees. Close by in the brush, a man is watching them. By his side, there's a camera. But really... The children don't even seem to notice the man. They're too busy, absorbed in one of the most central, sacred activities of human childhood. (laughs) The production of fart noises. Now, this film is all about the fart noises in a way. The man filming them from the trees was an environmental psychologist. So that's number one. Here's number two. And like many stories that involve fear. This one begins in the woods. This is tape from a film which shows two little children, ages four and six, together in a clearing in the forest. They're alone, two tiny bodies dwarfed by tall, dark trees. Close by in the brush, a man is watching them. By his side, there's a camera. But really, The children don't even seem to notice the man. They're too busy, absorbed in one of the most central, sacred activities of human childhood. (laughs) The production of fart noises. Now, this film... All right, so I want to get reactions from the audience about that. So what did you like better? Uh, and what would which which of the pieces you thought had a more appropriate treatment? And how did would, how did the I would pose it a little differently. How did it make you feel? Like how did these two different examples make you feel differently? Yeah. So I thought I thought the first one you were going to tell me I I forgot this episode. I actually have heard this, but it's a fearless episode. Yeah. Yeah, but I've forgotten it. And at first I thought you were going to tell me that the guy in the woods was like a predator. And in the first time I heard it, right. and the second time I thought it was more appropriate to what the the story is actually about. Interesting. Anybody else? Yeah. I kind of thought a little bit different than that. I, I thought the second one was like something way worse was going to happen. Like the it's uh, like and then it like switches yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Whereas the first one seemed more kind of fun with like a little bit of like the trap snare kind of thing going. Right. With the and I was like, oh, this like a joke's coming or something like that. It feels a little more more fun. So, oh yeah, yeah. It, by the way, this is a lot of what you really need to do when you do this is ask these questions of a bunch of people because you start to see like, okay, certain people feel differently, but where, how do most people feel, right? Well, I, 
I also agree that it was, I think the first one was a little more playful and, and ended up being a little more appropriate to the scene. I, I actually wanted to throw back a question as to why you didn't change it up a little bit more once the joke is revealed. Yeah, great Because I would have, I would have done that. I would have made it a little more funny and silly once we heard it's about farting. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so here's the, the answer to the question, which is the, the first one was composed by my friend Louis Weeks, very, very talented film, radio, and TV composer. And the second one is by me. Um, and, yeah, the difference, I think everybody's answers uh, got at what the difference is. Uh, the second one, which is mine, uh, I really played off the bait and switch. I really tried to build up suspense, predator in the woods, and then, ah, just kidding, fart noises. Uh, and that would, be, that would be the producer's choice. They might, they might not want to so heavily weigh on the bait and switch. Um, whereas Louis, the first one was more playful throughout. Um, but I thought that um, my feedback to him was that that was a little bit too active. Um, there's a little bit of competition with the vocal tracking there going on. Um, and so, you know, I think one of the things that we've discovered between us uh, as we've worked together uh, is that Louis uh, is, he's like a film composer. Like he can, he can place you, he has very potent musical ideas, he has incredible sounds. I'm a mood creator. I will, I will create background music that is mood oriented and you can even move it around within the piece. And so we have to bridge those, when we work together, we have to bridge uh, those differences of techniques. Uh, and so yeah, so that's been a fun exercise. So thank you for the input on that. Let's play another one. Yeah, why don't? Um, so this is actually from a radio piece, not from a podcast. It's for a series that I'm working on with um, NPR science reporter Jeff uh, Brumfield. It's about failure, and this story is about um, the guy who's credited with making the worst video game ever, which was Atari's ET, and. Um, so in this moment that we're going to play you, he has just agreed to make uh, the video, to make the entire video game in five weeks, which is like a fraction of the time of any other game ever made by Atari. And, uh, but it's, he needs to do it to hit the timing of the movie release and like Christmas shopping and all of that. And um, it's kind of an impossible task. You do it. And I said... You bet I can. I absolutely can. I don't know what I was full of at that time exactly, but whatever it was, I was overflowing with it. And I believed I could pull it off. I mean, the hubris of it. Howard wasn't the only one full of hubris. In its first years, Atari had become the fastest growing company in America. Its profits were soaring, and everyone from the game programmers all the way up to the CEO were getting big bonus checks. Inside the headquarters were drugs and sex and booze. It was a ridiculous, excessive sort of, you know, fall of Rome kind of environment. And everyone believed that nothing could stop them. We can do no wrong. So, Howard has just... So that one was just like, actually just took like a minute to do, but it was like, we were just having like a ton of fun. So we, to evoke the era, we actually put all the music through a thing that degraded its, um, uh, the compression rate down to like 8-bit, you know, to kind of match like a Casio keyboard circa, you know, in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, and like the, used an 808 for the drums, which is also from that era. Um... 
And, you know, basically hubris. That's what we were going for. And just like, let's make this like fun. This is like a fun story. Sex and drugs and video games in the 80s. Like, that's too easy. It's too fun. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, our touchstone for kind of the, the rhythm of it, like, I was just like, run DMC, it's like that. Once again, showing my age, but we were like, basically yeah. took a listen to that and. and and I'm a, I'm a pretty good imitator. And I think a lot of composers would tell you that they are. Um, you know, some are going to be very prideful and... I'll fix that. Uh, some are going to be very prideful and say, like, you know, I don't want to imitate something that you already given me. I want to come at it from a fresh perspective. But when Michael says, hey, like, this Run DMC beat might be really appropriate, like, I can recreate that, like, with, you know, some fidelity without being, you know, without, you know, copyright infringement or anything like that. Um, and then the synths are real simple, so... Um, yeah. That's one that, yeah, like you said, took 15 minutes. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't always have to be hard. <laughs> so um, here's one that, that has a lot. We're going to play the, the video. Okay. So I don't know if this feels like maybe I'm crossing a line, but we're going to go ahead and, and play a, a, a video that we just recently finished. Um, the reason why I, I'm hoping <laughs> that this won't um, upend anything, we did this, we did this, the, the scoring first, and then we gave it to an animator. So we were really like, um, you know, kind of giving the visual cues first. And there's a, it's only a minute and a half, and I think because it's a video, we sort of were a lot more over the top than we generally are. Like we. We packed a whole lot into this minute and a half, and I'll talk about it, sort of how we are thinking about it um, after. Well, I was paralyzed in a, in a motor vehicle accident in 1981. When I was 19, I was driving drunk at the time. I had rolled the family station wagon and somehow whacked my head in the dashboard. I really don't remember it. But I do remember sort of lying on my back in the road, sort of looking up. It was an incredibly starlit night. Then I saw my friend walk over into my field of vision, and he was crying. That's sort of when the, uh, the moment hit me that, uh-oh, this is going to be serious. What I remember about hospitals is the ceiling, <laughs> all the ceilings, and the lousy paint job they do on all the ceilings. Really important thing someone said to me then. This was from one of the uh, psychologists who came in to gauge my level of uh, mental well-being, I guess. Through the first three out who came in and said, how are you feeling? And I'd be, how the hell do you think I feel? You know, get the hell out of here. But then someone came in, must have caught me in a moment of weakness because I listened. They said, you know, in every sort of lifetime, everybody in a chair, out of a chair, disabled, not disabled, you know, we could do about 10,000 things. That encompasses a full life. So what's going to happen now is you're going to do a different 10,000 things than you were going to do before. It became, you know, figuring out what that new 10,000 things is going to be. This is from an ATC series that came out of NPR Story Lab. Um, totally different. The way it sounds on the radio is completely different. It's a conversation between two people. Uh, but we wanted to just try, you know, putting it in a different format. So in terms of how we worked, we thought about the, the soundtrack and sound design for this, um, you can, um, in a simple way, it's like all the sound design elements are kind of like what's happening, and then the music is in his head. Uh, so once again, you, you, you see the use of a drone there, 
after the accident. He's coming out. And we, this one's a little bit of a warbly drone. Like, it's just like he's coming into consciousness. Um, the rhythm I'm thinking of is his heart, right? It's just like racing right at that first. It's like, you know, almost like a techno beat, like dun, 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 mixed with that drone. Um, and, you know, we really, at this point, we can get pretty specific, you know, like basically I was, when we're working together on this, that's like basically what I said. Like I'm thinking of a drone for his head and like let's like do something rhythmic like to keep, you know, to give that like dr dr more dramatic speed up the pace at that moment kind of feeling. Then we go out of his head into the hospital. We're in the hospital sounds. And then, um, and then we come back to... Uh, now we're hearing an actual heartbeat, like an actual recording of a human heartbeat as he's like coming to terms with the fact that he's now paralyzed. So um, there's a lot of uh, found sound uh, ambience in there. So and I think there's that was like two thirds found sound, one third music. Right. So there's um, there's the sound of driving the highway noise and then the squealing tires. Those are all sounds we picked up from freesound.org. Um, and I'm trying to make use of the stereo pan. So like the, the car moves across your stereo pan. When you're in the hospital, there's a cart that's moving across your field. Um, and, then, um, and then just some synths to take it home. Not, not too hard. Yeah. So, um, so now, quick recap. So, you know, talking about a lot of working with a composer is talking, which is good because that's like what we do, right? Um, so we're thinking about musical metaphors. Um, a lot of times we didn't get too into this, but I would say that, you know, another important thing to think about is like if the tape is really strong, like you don't need to be like totally on the nose. Like there's no reason to make like tape that's already sad more sad. So a lot of times we're like, okay, what's the second or third emotion? Like it's sad, but it's, all, it's sort of a questioning sad. Like, or, or is it a confused sad? Or is it more of a, you know, apprehensive sort of a feel? You know, you start thinking a little bit more about those like complex elements. Um, and then the other thing that, you know, just to really emphasize is like silence, especially for the most powerful moments of your story, I still firmly believe that silence is often the best choice. So a lot of times we're thinking about the scoring, we're looking at the whole, like how much scoring do we want to have, like when you're looking at your entire session, and thinking about the music kind of being like building up to the silence. Hello, just parking in to let you know we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with the rest of this session. Are you tired of endlessly searching for good radio stories? Or maybe feeling overwhelmed by the amount of podcasts filling up your feed? This is Radio Lab. I'm Jad Abumran. Well, worry no more, because Third Coast has you covered. I'm Gwen Maxi, host of Third Coast's podcast, ReSound. ReSound is a themed, hour-long mix of the best in radio and podcasting from the past and present. We've been carefully curating nothing but the best stories from around the world since 2004, and we have a treasure trove of amazing audio. Each episode is bound to have something to fit every listener's individual taste. Personal stories, essays, sound art, mystery stories that twist and turn, and other audio experiments. So stop searching. 
Subscribe to ReSound today and treat yourself to the finest stories ever told in sound. Your ears will thank us. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So now we're going to do a little <laughs> without a net live scoring. Um, so Gina, could you come up? We asked um, producers to provide tape, and, and Gina um, uh, uploaded something. So yeah, let's get, yeah, let's get you. You can grab that microphone there. I think it's on. So, um, so we're going to play your tape just, just straight first, but do you want to just give a little intro to what this is? What's that? I'm just saying. Oh, I don't, I don't have a preference. Uh, is this on? Yeah. Okay, great. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, um, so uh, what this is is a brief... Uh, I've been taking a lot of tape of my brother, who is um, short version. He's, a, he's been a felon most of his life. He's been in prison most of his life. Um, our mother died a year ago, a little over a year ago. And he left his probation in Oregon, got on a bicycle, and rode across the country to North Carolina, where I live. And he picked up my mother's ashes, and he's now driving back across the country with them. He's wanted in actually a couple of states, um, but not nationwide. So he's taking care about taking these ashes to the Redwoods. And we were, we had a disconnected family. I've been talking to him several times a week now for the past few months and recording every conversation. And uh, I'll be doing that until he actually goes back to Oregon and goes back into prison for six to eight months. So this is a little segment. Gene, I'm out here, out here in the world, right? And uh, I'm having to deal on levels that, you know, are, are pretty base, you know? Right. Uh, how do I put it, you know? Um, Jesus, I can't even tell you this. What? I guess the worst thing I do normally uh, is, you know, Gina, I, 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 you know, I've become an incredibly gifted um, shoplifter. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, incredibly gifted. You know, I'm, 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 I'm unhittable. And when I say that, right, I mean, I have a, a method of doing things. You know, I remember, I, I call them discounts, right? Or just discounts. I always buy things, but, you know, I just get more than I buy because I have to stretch my dollars out here. And, um, 
You know, it's one of the things that are, you know, one of the mandatory, you know, survival tools out here, you know, is that you have to be, you know, a, a, a very gifted, it's something like that, you know what I mean? Right. And uh, and I am, you know. I mean, I, I dare I said it. I've admitted it, you know. I did insert some silence for scoring, so there's more. But then again, I saw Dad do some pretty serious shit when I was there in two months. You know that? No. Oh, yeah. Yeah, one time Dad took us out to Walmart, right? So we're getting groceries, I get a car, he said, yeah, get what you need, get some of that, get some of that, get all that, get that, get that, you know. And I'm just throwing the car up, it's like 300 fucking dollars worth of shit. And uh, so then he goes into the checkout thing, you know, the uh, self-checkout, uh-huh. right? And he starts running this shit down, right, you know, zipping things, having trouble with the thing, calling the lady over, you know, he's 80 years old, so she's overlooking him, you know, big time. And he's playing that, playing his age beautifully. Right? And and Jimmy walked out of there with all that shit right there, right? For like sixty bucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm looking at dad at eighty and I'm you know, and I'm thinking to myself, My God, man, I'm you know, I've got this blood in me, man. I mean I can't get a transfusion, I mean nothing's gonna help. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you might w- want music to add to that? Um, you know, I, I have such a, a big, like, it's hard for me to focus in on that, but for me, my brother is as a, um, he's a carnival man. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And even though, like, I, and I, I actually, I really wonder, like, just hearing that, like, does that sound like a sad story? Um, because it, the, the tragic, I mean, to, for me, it, it, my brother is half tragedy and half freaking circus man. And so it's, it's, it's hard, I don't know, I mean, it, there's, a, it's, there's a deep, deep, deep tragedy about his whole life. And he's, he's getting older now and I don't know what's going to happen now. Like, I don't know, and it's, I mean, it's, it's so darkly, it's a black hole of sadness. At the same time, he's, he's a funny, extraordinarily intelligent, uh, creative, Person. Yeah. So, um, Do, does the audience have any suggestions about how, if you were a producer, how you might treat that? I would love to hear any, <laughs> anything about it because I'm, you know, I'm going to be working on this for a few more months. And I have a lot to think about. I would say, like this, obviously the subtext is sad, and that's true of a lot of the stories that we report. You know, so I think you can establish themes. I mean, earlier on of sort of that, and then, you know, by the time you get to a section like this, you're, you're playing with that theme, and you've also messed with our expectations, you know, and so you have something that we all know is sad. I mean, I was thinking about um, some of the prison stories that I was hearing at Pop-Up Magazine last night, and it's like the context is sad, but, or, or homelessness or things like that. But you, you really don't have to pound it in in this moralistic way that does that work for you. Um, so you can both play against it, but it's like you, you also have to acknowledge it. You know, so you think about music as a way of lifting some of that burden from you, the storyteller, um, and then, you know, it's just your friend, it's your helper. It doesn't, it, it sort of helps you not have to say certain things. 
you know, the that's how I think about scoring. The gentleman next to you. Yeah, I, I definitely think that like acknowledging that sad part is is definitely like one of the challenges for you guys. But one thing that was interesting for me, at least in the beginning, of like his reveal of what was so tough for him was that like he does have this like mastery, he said. And that seemed like kind of a theme for me, especially mm -hmm. if you say he's like a carnival kind of guy. Yeah. Um, and so like when I heard like mastery, I thought a little bit like imitation game piano <laughs> a bit, like kind okay. of like I I have this like skill that I developed apparently, yeah. um, but that like maybe that's not that good as it's not quite imitation game sincere, you know, there's something wrong with it. Well, yeah, I, I just in a big picture, my brother's been in jail most of his life because he's a thief. So when he admitted this to me, it was actually quite funny to me. Like, Gina, I'm out here right now, I'm stealing shit. I'm like, really? Oh. So I'm gonna grab a piano for one thing. Uh, other, other suggestions, anybody else? Um, so I, from what you said, it seems as if most of your tape is phone conversations, uh, all phone conversations. So. I mean, what I would try to do is somehow capture musically this uh, idea of him riding across the country in this very s slow, uh, you know, vehicle. Um, there's this David Lynch film about a brother going to visit two old, two old brothers, and one goes to visit the other by driving across the country on a lawnmower or something. Um, I forget what it's called. The Straight Story, and um, and there's like very very. Um, Distinctive kind of slow-paced music that huh. that this goes throughout the um, the the film and here too. I mean, I, I was imagining something with something which evokes a bicycle trip through various different. Maybe the music changes a little bit as his as his uh, geographic location changes a little bit. I like that. Yeah. I don't have specific things I want to hear, but what I was struck with is just like the universality, the universalness of your sibling. That's what I heard. It's like your brother's been in prison. He's been in jail. Like people retract that, but it was just so immediate that you guys are like, hey, man, like I know what you're talking about. I know you. And it doesn't, not that it doesn't matter what he's done, but like I just got struck by the deep connection that you obviously had, even in your silences. And I don't know how to promote that in the music, but that was something that I think is so strong about this. Let's see if we can try to triangulate some of those ideas. Yeah, and I, I think it's kind of helpful to just tell you a little bit about the tools that we use. So this is Logic, you know, just another digital uh, audio workstation. And then um, we have a MIDI keyboard. And we've, we've also purchased a suite of like synthesizer patches called Native Instruments um, that r really expands upon what's already inside Logic. It's actually, and it's sampled instruments, synthesizer, it's like everything, strings, pianos, drums. Yeah. So it's not, it, w it wasn't like a big investment. We set up a music lab at, at NPR and you know, it was really easy <laughs> for, for NPR to, because when we put like the price tag compared to like building a full studio, you, you know, in, uh, yeah, Logic is like 200 bucks, and the Native Instruments is more like 1,000. And then you can get a MIDI keyboard you know, on eBay for whatever. Um, it's, not, it's not a huge investment to get started. So should we give it a try? Yeah. I got, all right, I'm going to try, try something here. This uh, you know, 
keep in mind we're going to try like a five minute version of something that would take you know probably a couple hours but gee I'm out here out here in the world right and uh, I'm having to deal on levels that you know are, are pretty base you know right uh, how do I put it you know um, Jesus I can't even tell you this what? I guess the worst thing I do normally uh, is, you know, Gene, I, 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 you know, I've become an incredibly gifted um, shoplifter. You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, incredibly gifted. You know, I'm, 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 I'm unhittable. And when I say that, right, I mean, I have a, a method of doing things. You know, I remember, I, I call them discounts. Right? Or just discounts. I always buy. What do you guys think? Is it is it uh is it anywhere close? Is it too sad? What do you think? Feels a little too sad to me. Yeah. And I also think when he says the shoplifting, something should change. So, somebody was talking about the idea of like setting up the controversial nature of this character. Um, and I have some other ideas about that as well. Do you wanna call it Yeah. Um, can we who has the microphone? Just hand the microphone to someone. I don't have a preference. You're all great. <laughs> uh, something that I was thinking about, um, part of why I'm taking this is I do a little bit of composition. I'm trying to figure out how to talk to myself doing this. Cool. Um, but I, I was thinking about, you know, you're talking about like the undertone, like the underside of stuff, a little shady, and somebody was talking about, you know, like a cycle spinning around around. I was thinking about like a, those organs from the 60s that have a Leslie speaker, which literally spin around and around, creating a sense of, sense of distance and kind of a loop to it. Um, that was just something going through my brain. And then plus those kind of organs have kind of like a, a sort of shady sound to them, but also, also a sense of playfulness too. I felt like it was just too, a little bit too much happening m- melodically. Like I kind of liked, what, in a way, I would probably, if we were really getting into this, kind of ask you to go to what you had done with Invisibilia, where it was a much like slower kind of melody that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so that each note is sustained more. Um, I also, when we first talked, Gina, you know, you had the, you had told me this thing about how. You know that was sort of like the arc of your relationship with your brother that has gone from like fear to sympathy and I was thinking a lot about that like maybe at first like it's kind of like you're talking and it's like there's little butterflies in your stomach like where this is going and then you're like really laughing with him towards the end there so is, that was there is. yeah Just when he says like um do you need, like as if he's going to reveal something to me that I don't know I'm like fuck what is it because yeah. I mean I know a lot about my brother and you know it's I know a lot of bad things so I was I thought it was going to be something like you I'm like digging up dead bodies from the graveyard and uh, t- taking their teeth out and selling them for, I, you know, I mean that like, and then he's like, I'm shoplifting. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was, I, I was thinking a little bit like a little more ominous at the top and then getting to a warmer sort of sympathy by the end. Yeah. I have something I could try. Okay. Uh, so the organ concept, let's, let's try that first. I don't know if it'll work, um, but let's redo what we did with that. I don't know what to play, but... Gene, I'm out here. Out here in the world, right? And, uh... I'm having to deal on levels that, you know, are, are pretty big. Uh, right. See? <laughs> How about you feel? Um, what about, 
I have uh, I have a couple uh, ideas that maybe triangulate. I'm actually gonna play uh, something that I did prior to this, just as a straw man. All right. Is that okay? Yeah, we're kind of running out of time, so let's see what Nick came up with and uh, his his own like fever brain. Uh, yeah. <laughs> late last night. I haven't heard this. Yeah, I'm out here. Out here in the world, right? And uh, I'm having to deal on levels that, you know, are, are pretty base, you know. Right. Uh, how do I put it, you know? Um, Just wait for it. Jesus, I can't even tell you this. What? I guess the worst thing I do normally uh, is, you know, Gina, I, 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 you know, I've become an incredibly gifted um, shoplifter. You know? Right. Yeah, I mean, incredibly gifted. You know, I'm, 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 I'm unhittable. And when I say that, right, I mean, I have a, a method of doing things. You know, I remember, I, I call them discounts, right? They're just discounts. I always buy things, but, you know, I just get more than I buy. Because I have to stretch my dollars out here. And, um, you know, it's one of the things that are, you know, with a mandatory... You know, survival tools out here, you know, is that you have to be, you know, a, a, a very gifted, it's something like that, you know what I mean? Right. And, uh, and I am, you know, I mean, out there, I said it, I've admitted it, you know. But then again, I saw Dad do some pretty serious shit when I was there in two months, you know that? No. Oh, yeah. Yeah, one time Dad took us out to Walmart, right? So we, we're getting groceries. I, I get a car. Yeah, get, what you need, get some of that, get some of that, get all that, get that, get that, you know. And I'm just filling the car up. It's like 300 fucking dollars worth of shit. And uh, so then he goes into the checkout thing, you know, the uh, self-checkout, uh -huh. right? And he starts running his shit down. Right, you know, zipping things, having trouble with the thing, calling the lady over, you know, he's eight years old, so she's overlooking him, you know, big time. And he's playing that, playing his age beautifully, right? And, and Jimmy walked out of there with all that shit right there, right? For like 60 bucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm looking at dad at 80 and I'm, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, my God, man, I'm, you know, I've got this blood in me, man. I mean, I can't get a transfusion. I mean, nothing's going to help. I faded out too early, but my, uh, my prompt for the end there was, uh, if anyone's ever played the video game, The, the Sims, there's a shopping theme. Uh, and so it's like evokes a supermarket. I don't know if it came across, uh, but uh, we, one of the things we talked about with this piece was, how do we take this person from a controversial figure to uh, reveal his true nature, which is one of a brother, a friend, uh, you know, a funny guy? I definitely heard the kind of, someone said like, oh, the mastery of the shoplifting. Another thing that I realized that I, we hadn't really talked about, but I think you did really well in this, is like playing off like the rhythmic quality of someone's voice, like actually going with the tempo of their voice. Like I felt like when that, that kind of funky thing came in, it's like suddenly his voice is really acting like part of the music in a way that was kind of fun. Is there a consideration in working with phone tape? Definitely. Uh, that's a great point. Um, I, I kind of love the phone tape because it sort of uh, 
makes this character a little shady. And I, I feel like uh, uh, that maybe isn't appropriate. Um, and then that puts even greater emphasis on the music to bring that out of him. I mean, you hear Love and Radio working with the phone tape um, a lot when they're talking to folks. Yeah. I just, we only have a couple minutes left, and I really wanted to hear from Gina. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I just want to say that the, you know, the power of that, that music when he comes on. I love that. I love, um, I, I loved that first part. Yeah. And actually, I would push that, uh, that shopping music back to throwing all the yeah. shit in the cart and da da da. I would push that to, um, to that whole thing, and then. It's some, there needs to be some kind of thing where when he walks out with all that stuff, I'm not saying you should do this right now just as a conversation. Um, he walks out of there with this like 300 bucks worth of groceries for 60 bucks. Like there need, I feel like that's a moment of some sort yeah. of like. And then the blood, you know the thing about the blood transfusion. Like he can't have a blood transfusion. I don't know what that is right there, but yeah. like what that means. Yeah, yeah, I felt exactly. That wasn't the right spot for that music. Like if we had gone through the whole process. The other thing I think I would have done was to really emphasize the time when you really laugh together. Yeah. Like make sure that that's really set up. Because to, to me that's moment, like before that you're kind of, it's like this wariness and then there's a moment of like real like sibling kind of camaraderie right. there that I would have wanted to figure out a way that the music could have really brought attention to. But you know, once again, like this is something that takes like you do this for a couple hours, you step away from it, you come back, play it for other people, you're like, that's all wrong. So I just want, we wanted to give you guys a little bit of a sense of it, not that we really thought that we would like nail it. Really, so. let's play with the music, with the shopping music pushback. And then he goes into the checkout thing, the uh, self-checkout, uh -huh. right? I'm just gonna slide it back a little bit. And I'm just filling the car up. It's like 300 fucking dollars worth of shit. And uh, so then he goes into the checkout thing, the, the uh, self-checkout, uh -huh. right? And he starts running this shit down, right? You know, zipping things, having trouble with the thing, calling the lady over, you know, he's, he's 80 years out. old, so she's overlooking him, you know, big time. And he's playing that, playing his age beautifully, right? And, and Jimmy walked out of there with all that shit right there. Right? For like 60 bucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I'm looking at Dad yeah, and Amy, like, you, you know, know it's in an amorphous myself, state. Oh God, but I think it, it would you know, get, I've got this blood in Yeah, you know, you just kind of keep working. It's like, it is a little bit like if you, anyone here is a musician, I am a musician, I'm not a composer, but it's a little bit like jamming. Like you're like, okay, let's try a little that. Like it really is, it's super fun, which is another big reason to do it. <laughs> Um, well, thank you all so much for coming. Yeah, and we'll stay up here time. and take some more questions just because we didn't. Yeah, if, if, yeah, I mean, I don't know how, how much time we have, but if anyone has questions, sure, or you can just come up or whatever. Yeah? Do we have a few minutes or do we need to get out of here, Third Coast, someone? Okay. <laughs> Real quick, um, I, like about talking to composers and where do you start talking about like price points for paying them yeah. like a beginner a middle career and a like sure. expert as as somewhat of a novice to intermediate level ex uh, experience person in this field um, I can do a couple different things I can charge uh, uh, you know hundred dollars to two hundred dollars per minute of music that I'm giving you and that would be a um, depend on the project and you know depends on 
how it fits into my portfolio and how successful I think I can be. But um, if you're giving me a near final piece of tape and you're saying we need roughly 10 to 20 minutes of music here, I will charge you per the minute of produced music that... Um, uh, but another way that I've done this in the past is to charge a flat fee for the whole episode. So if you bring me in as a, like an associate producer um, and we start to, early on in the process before we have final tape, start to think of the sound design holistically, um, I'll charge for an hour-long podcast, I've, I've charged a thousand um, for that, but I think probably need to charge more in some cases because it can take a lot more time than that. Um, and But that would include... You know, thinking through the sound design, um, all of the layers, working with you to figure out what we want, you know, mood boards, anything we need to do to, to get on the same page. And then I'll take your near final piece of tape and I'll make it final. I'll give you a final mix. I'll compose all the music, produce it, and then lay up the tracks for, so you don't have to do all that. Um, so that could be included in that fee. Yeah. yeah. For the uh, independent folk uh, that... Uh, don't have budgets anywhere near that. Um, any sort of like insight or like direction in terms of where they could go, where like their value yeah. is sort of like that. Like it's yeah. Well, I'd, be, I'd put that back to you actually. I would want to know like so w what what is the project and and um, you know what role are you looking for music to play um, and then you know you want to tell me. Oh, this is on. You're good. Uh, the, the same concept, and like trying to respect also the artist, understanding that they have their own process, but yeah. understanding that I have like my, my wallet, it's a very thin type of thing, but trying to find that middle ground where um, it's sort of like a, a narrative podcast, hour long type thing, where okay. music music plays a role in like the flow of the the episode and transitions and all that sort of stuff. So, yep. but also not trying to sacrifice the quality of the episode with this is the first music I can find type of thing. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> that can be tough. Um, if music's going to play a central role um, and you need a unique sound identity, you're going to have a hard time doing that on a limited budget. But what you can do is um, use a free open source library to start or even use stuff that you don't have rights to as placeholders and then bring somebody in and say, I need to uh, you know, mimic the qualities I have here. What, what would that cost? And I'd be happy to have that conversation with you. The, I mean, the reality is I've, I've charged people at various rates like I've, you know, in some cases worked for free, and that after a while kills me. Uh, and it, it does take a long time. I spent, um, I, I composed um, most of the original music uh, that they used in Invisibilia's Solutions episode in season two about mental illness in Belgium. And uh, I spent like 20 to 40 hours of my time on that, you know? And so, like, they, they paid me a flat rate, and like, it didn't work out to a great hourly rate. And that's because I was still refining my process. So some composers will be able to come in and be like, well, I actually have a library of sounds I can you know, license to you for on the cheap. Um, but I think you know, hour-long podcasts with a lot of music, you're going to have a hard time for less than 1,000. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you'd mentioned uh, free sound for sound effects. Do you have any recommendations? I I'm aware of like the free music archive for yep. some stuff that's pod safe, but any recommendations for like loops or samples that are low yep. cost or available under Creative Commons, something similar? Um, yeah, freesound.org for found sounds. Uh 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Um, I mean, Pottington Bear, um, there's a service that I'm told Gimlet is using called uh, Marmoset, which I think is a subscription, but I don't, I don't think it's very expensive. Um, people are subscribing to the APM library. There's Free Music Archive is another source. Um, and there's actually more of these popping up all the time. Um, I think if I was an entrepreneur, I think that's what I'd be doing. I'd be like trying to start a music archive that people could uh, subscribe to. But yeah, those are the ones that come to my head. Pottington Bear, Marmoset, Free Music Archive, APM. Thank you for downloading the Third Coast Pocket Conference and a special thanks to Shelley Staffins who recorded and mixed all of the presentations from the 2016 conference. We'll be back soon with more sessions but until then you can always check out our archive of conference audio at thirdcoastfestival.org or you can have a listen to our other podcast ReSound for the best audio stories from around the world. All right, speak soon.